welcome to the Platform to Perform podcast, a podcast for athletes, coaches, and anyone looking to perform at their highest level. If performance is your goal, we aim to provide you with a platform to perform. I'm your host as always, Todd Davidson, and on episode 36 of the Platform to Perform podcast, I'm delighted to welcome owner of SHP Fitness, Tom Smith. How are you doing today, Tom? Hi, Todd. Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on podcast debut. So uh, hopefully I don't waffle on too long and can... Um... Yeah, give some good uh, some good insights. I'm I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this. Um, to kick things off, uh, same way I kick all the other podcasts off. Uh, why do you do what you do, and how has it influenced what you're doing now? Um, well, I mean, obviously it's my job, <laughs> so 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 that's number one. But but I absolutely uh, it's it's a, it's definitely a passion side of things. I had before moving into SNC, I had roles that weren't in sport at all, and I just wasn't enjoying. Um, doing them and then uh, rediscovered the the love for uh, sport and 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 training and, and, and fitness etc and then got in, it got into the got into strength conditioning and then uh, all about trying to help people achieve I guess the goals that I didn't achieve in my life so um, I, I wanted to dreams of being a professional athlete and uh, now hopefully I can help kids uh, you know develop and maybe help them achieve those goals yeah we're, we're all failed athletes aren't we that's it yeah absolutely so that's it that's a reoccurring on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> and uh so how did you i've seen a lot of your work with your youth fitness camps and um, obviously in our offer chat you mentioned you a few work a bit of work with adults as well uh how did the youth stuff come about um well so that came from internship so interned at hampshire cricket club and naturally like every young intern i wanted to be the first team um sports scientist and you know be on be, be working with the the super elite athletes and then on my first day uh it, my, the guy running my internship said right you're taking under 12 session um which uh was you know initially at first I was like, oh, that's not what I want to be doing I want to be working with the senior athletes and then within one hour of leading that session I absolutely loved it I saw development within the space of an hour um I found myself engaged with the kids and the kids engaged with the session. And so that really sparked the, the sort of the fire for youth development um, really early within sort of the SNC career. And, and then, yeah, just went from there. And, and, and then I guess another side of it, I was an extremely late maturer um, and I thought, oh, this could have helped me. So maybe I can help someone else. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. And uh, I know it's a phrase that gets banded about a lot in strength and conditioning. Um, and some people don't necessarily agree with it. But if you feel like you've got a philosophy when it comes to strength and conditioning, uh, firstly, what is that philosophy? And does that philosophy change at all when you're working with uh, younger children? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a, a general philosophy would be you know, helping to provide athletes with you know, the physical qualities or attributes that they need to succeed in their sport. Um, you know, as, as a whole, I guess that's kind of the, the job, right? Um so, so yeah, I mean, that would probably be an overarching philosophy with, with kids. I kind of, you know, if, if a parent's asking me, what is it that you do again, help provide them with, with the physical side of their sport that, that hopefully can help their development to them, you know, ultimately achieve their goals, their dreams uh, in the future, really. And then I guess the only real difference would, between sort of an, an athlete or, um, you know, you know a, a younger kid is, you're looking more at development rather than performance where you would be on, on more the athlete side and preparing for a specific event or, or whatnot. But, but yeah. And if you're, if we're talking about the differences in, for example, 
I, I suppose, uh, just to use the words you've used, a development program versus a performance program. Obviously, every parent and every school likes to call kids elite just because it's on a jumper or a T-shirt. Um, but what would those programs or how might those programs look different, if you will? Um, so the, the, the elite, the athlete side of things, shall we say, is going to be very sort of performance based in terms of sort of strength and speed and more directional speed work. And, um, you know, what you would consider probably a traditional strength and conditioning program, whereas the, the youth development is, or, or the development program is more for me in, in anyway, more about learning, um, you know, being able to control the body and, and, and learning how to do the things that are going to help you do the things down the line. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, uh, it taps into, what myself and uh, Kelvin Giles were speaking about uh, on the last podcast where he said you're going to have stuff that's general and it looks absolutely nothing like sport, stuff that's sport related. So I suppose in that sphere of looking kind of like the sport, but maybe not exactly the nuances of the technical skill. And then you'll have the sport specific. And something he mentioned is that the next phase will always be the success of the next phase will always be determined by how much of the foundation you've built with the previous phase. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, again, not a question that I necessarily uh, planned, but just in hearing you speak there, that's almost how I would describe the similarities and differences between something like a physical education curriculum versus strength and conditioning. There's definitely going to be similar skills in both, but that for me conceptualizes that quite nicely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, there yeah exactly that yeah you, you, you mean you, you're 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 learning or, or you're performing and there, there is a difference between them absolutely and uh in one of the things that i've noticed on your social media which i've quite enjoyed uh watching is your use of stuff like obstacle courses or i suppose maybe a, a poor person's parkour if uh if i yeah. may say yeah. how do you how do you go about from for example right this is how i'm going to inject fun into the session but actually this is what I'm looking to get out of this obstacle course. So how do you design your obstacle courses? Yeah. So um, there, there definitely is always a, a, an outcome that I'm looking to achieve. And that might even just be something like intensity, like of, of, of movement or, or something. It might not be anything as specific as sort of you know, speed or, or, or agility in them, but there's always, a, there's always an outcome. It's normally movement based um, and, you know, trying to link, uh, athletic skills is kind of something that I, I think about when we're doing the um, the obstacle course. In fact, actually, just sort of go, go back on myself there and sort of restart. The point of the obstacle course for me is I think of it in my head of like um, it's it's an it's an athletic development course, shall we say, rather than than an obstacle course, and it's replacing a little bit of the park um, and playing in the park and running and jumping and and climbing and crawling and rolling. And being able to link all of those things together, which for me is, is, is that's really what athleticism is, is it's all well and good to be able to do a counter movement jump on the spot and jump up really well and land perfectly, which is obviously something we're going to work on. But actually, how are you going to implement that into you know, doing something, doing it into sport? And, and they practice it in their sports. But I think a lot of young kids, they miss out on, I'm sure you and I, spent lots of time in the park jumping off stuff and, and you know landing rolls and just practicing and trying cool things um so so yeah that's that's kind of where they they sit quite a lot of the time um is, is giving that sort of side of things and allowing kids 
how to express themselves. But, th th you know, there will be some physical challenge in something like they have to challenge themselves to jump high, jump onto a box, or can they be creative in their rolling? Can they complete it quickly or can they complete it perfectly? And, you know, maybe we're working more on a balanced coordination side of things or, um, yeah, if we're going quick, it's how, how quickly can they get from movement to movement going around? Um, yeah, does that, I hope that kind of... Yeah, yeah, it does. does. <laughs> yeah, it does. And it's funny because I think one of the things we don't really do in traditional strength and conditioning settings is we don't focus enough on, like you said, those transition movements. It's very easy to get strong in a sort of, I mean, I don't mean isolated in the sense of machine work, but isolated in the sense of uh, let's take a hip hinge and a deadlift. Um, but, for example, I remember observing a netball session where the teacher wanted these pupils to jump, so basically hinge at the hips, leave the floor, rotate in the air, catch the ball, land on one leg and offload it to a partner, which as a strength and conditioning coach, when you break down all... Sorry, mate. No. Might be back. Can you hear me? Yeah, got you. Right. Apologies, guys. I mean, I hope that I don't have to edit that out. Um, but we were just talking about uh combining different movement skills and that that is what we see in sport um it's very easy for example to teach someone a trap bar deadlift and then just push the weight up and up and up but realistically and obviously there's a place for that building strength but it's going to be those ability to transition between movements that is probably going to define uh, athleticism so i really like how you're plugging the gap there because i don't think strength and condition us as strength and conditioning coaches pay enough attention to transitions between movements because we're so focused on just adding load to the bar definitely definitely adding load or or, or our jumps you know we might do you know a, a triple hop which is obviously a fantastic um you know exercise fantastic plyometric exercise but let's put that with a run let's put that with a with a job a, a jump or or a, or a shuffle or a change of direction that's that's really where it's going to you know embed into their sporting um game and, and career rather than just being really good at a triple hop yeah and we were chatting about it off air in terms of stuff that for example looks sport specific and actually the stuff that goes before it won't necessarily look like the exact sport i mean i posted yesterday about for example uh teaching the triple jump and that you might start by getting a kid to hop left leg to left leg and then left to right and then right to two feet it doesn't have to like look exactly like the sport but if the kids can't do the first bit and then you're just trying to get them to do a run up and go through those three phases then you just got no chance definitely yeah we, we spoke around um providing the physical qualities and providing the skill to be able to do to do the end point and that's that's exactly what you're saying there yeah what a great example with the with the uh with the triple jump as well because it is you know three different movements isn't it into one into one pattern definitely and uh when it comes to your uh session design how then do you like i know you do a bit of work with uh southampton girls how does your or does your session design differ much when you're dealing with your youth fitness camps versus in an academy setting like that yeah um, um fundamentally they're going to be 
completely different um being that if nothing else the the work we do with, with the girls at saints we tend to get 20 minutes um and the, and the youth camps can be anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half so you know that's we're, we're not going to be able to work on uh speed for an hour and a half um very successfully whereas we could do that within a 20 minute session um with the girls um so so that's you know one one massive difference on there i'd say the um the the the, the academy side of things with the girls you would work on one maybe two qualities within that um that time frame within and and that's probably it's probably one really whereas on the on the uh on the youth camps i might work up to four um within within a session and it's more more of a you know we've got a lot more time to be able to do things you can break it down into parts you've also got uh with obviously Southampton we follow a, a you know a periodized plan of what we're going to work on throughout the year or throughout the stage that they are within their um within within the within the season or or, or, or wherever that is with the because I've got the same I know the players who are going to be there every week are going to be the same and we can build on something we worked on last week or or regress it or progress it as we need to whereas within six weeks doing two sessions a week of a of the the youth camps I could I could literally have a case where I never have the same group even the same persons within the group you know session after session so it might be that we have to you know really strip something back or progress something on um within those sessions so um the the design of the the youth camps is, is pretty simple we'll do some form of sort of movement-based warm-up, um, which for me really is a screen. So I can just see and get an idea of who's in the session, what their their abilities are. So um, I think one of the, the posts that we chatted on was uh, another obstacle course, and it was more of a, a movement-based one. They did forward rolls and they, um, they, you know, they did some sort of lower level jumps. It wasn't, wasn't a really sort of high intensity. I could just get an idea of, you know what what do these kids look like we might have a little break and you know just literally right let's see uh let's see you do a couple of squats guys and and you know see what they see what they can do and i just get an idea of the cohort that i've got within that group then we would move on to um more of a uh you know well either sort of speed change of direction and um agility sort of base session where i would go through sort of closed more controlled um you know drills if you want i don't really like the term drills but they are drills um so you know as simple as an a skip or, or or whatever it may be um through there uh and then we would look to open that up a bit into some sort of closed um you know running if, we, if we're saying speed let's use speed for the example so we might do some closed sprinting or or like a, a dribble bleed sprint or something like that and then we'd go into a game or, or a race or a chase which involved which would involve some form of, 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 you know, some high speed running in there. After that portion of the session, we'd move into more of a, a strength based uh, session. So you could say we've got 10 for the warm up, 20 for a bit of speed, we go 20 for um, some, some strength work. And then by the end of doing that, we would then go into more of a games based kind of bringing it all together. That might be your bulldog or, or a game like that towards the end. Um, yeah. Whereas on the, on the same side of things, we would, have a small amount of time doing some some closed work going into a bit more of an expansive open um open game or, or activity whatever that would uh that would be um so yeah i guess that's the main the main differences you know between them nice and uh just on the subject of reverse engineering the obstacle courses then yeah um, how do you go from 
for example, rather than what a lot of people do, which is, for example, they might see your obstacle course post and think, right, great, let me just copy that. Uh, yeah. How do you go from, I want to get this out of it, and therefore I need to put these kind of things in place with that course? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> so, so yeah, obviously there's going to be a, a theme sort of to the course and, and yeah, reverse engineer back, as, as you say, uh, if it's the, the one I mentioned earlier with the movement, I'm going to go, right, I want to have some form of a, a roll in there. I want to have a crawl. I want to have a climb. I want to have a jump. And then I will gradually, I, I will build what I perceive the course to be in my mind and set it out, lay it out, because it's really just logistically. But then I will take them through step by step after I've got an awareness of what they might do. So if the first thing's two mats on the floor and we're going to roll across them and no one can do a roll, then I'm probably going to work on a roll for a bit first before we we then build that into the course. Then I'd kind of leave that, um, go on to go on to the jump area, and, and, and they would jump. Most kids can jump, right? But if they can't, we might again pop out, go back in, um, and and then work through through like that. Is that kind of the theme? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, for example, you, you might have been at you might have been at the CPD event as well, but I don't think we'd touch base at this point. But uh, when James Baker ran a parkour uh, parkour cpd as part of child's champion were you there for that one yeah i was there yeah yeah so for example uh james baker was saying that by having mats x amount of distance apart you're going to encourage a bit more of a leap um yeah yeah of course whereas for example you might have some kind of pummel horse against the wall so you can encourage um the technical term from parkour evades me but you basically end up putting one hand on the vault and sort of uh springing off the wall and just yeah. trying to design the environment as such that you're going to promote the use of these movement skills um, as well as maybe a little bit of deliberate practice in there as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, so that um, Charles Champion, the parkour course is, that is why I do those obstacle courses. Like literally that, that you're saying there, that's where the idea stemmed from. And I just don't have quite as cool um, kit as James sort of had available. And we had that's where that linking movements came from as well. That was a, quite a big conversation me and him had about the guys who he perceived to be more athletic within there or the guys who could link the movements, um, you know, between sprinting and the, and the, and the pummel horse better than the, than the guys who couldn't, they would no hesitation. They would be smooth through there. And, and then, yeah, exactly as you're saying, you know, if, if I want a kid to sprint as part of the obstacle course, we will have a long area with nothing in between it and they have to get from cone to cone but yeah, if we want to focus on uh, some something where they jump high, the the constraint of the obstacle will be something they they have to. You know, it's pretty simple, but they have to jump up and and over it. If we want them to jump long, it's a longer gap which they have to try and jump over. Exactly as you as you're saying there. Yeah, and uh, I suppose it links back to our previous point that we were discussing off air, and the sense that as strength and conditioning coaches, we almost don't realise we speak our own languages that other people's interpretation of the definitions might not be the same as ours. So we were saying about uh, off air about being a good mover and whether that looks different to say a sports coach versus a strength conditioning coach versus um, a PE teacher as an example. Uh, So going back to what we were saying about, or what you were saying about using the obstacle course as a screen as a coach, you know, would we prefer to be given the athlete who, I don't know, in a closed environment they can squat well they can hip hinge um they can i don't know uh, hold a push-up position plank 
or would we prefer that kid who we show the obstacle course to with all of those different skills and they're just you know linking the movements effortlessly without necessarily being told this is how you do a squat this is how you bend at the hips yeah yeah i mean that's 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 really really i mean i i would be more biased towards the guy who's who's smashing the obstacle course um even as an, an snc coach i'd like to think we could coach those other movements maybe specific for, for the gym but, but we said didn't we um you know if someone what what is that good mover is it someone who links those movements or is it does being able to squat hinge lunge does that make you a good mover but then those movements probably don't occur in the sport so is that a good mover in the sport where where's where's that sort of merging within there and, and you know an obstacle course can be a good way of maybe highlighting some of those those things and how they can link those the, the movements together um and and you know for us as a, I, I still, you know, if someone can squat and lunge and hinge well, I'm like, yeah, they're a great mover. Like, they're a really, really good mover. Um, but a football coach is absolutely, that plays absolutely no part of them, their, their um, perception of a good mover. A good mover for them is maybe someone who's fluid and can, um, you know, quickly change direction around, around an athlete, which is also, would be a perception of mine of a, of a good mover. But that led us to the, to the sort of, uh, we were speaking about deceleration and how, um, you know, within our within our sessions we were getting the girls to sprint stop stopping that athlete position and i'm like yeah they're, they're stopping they're they're really good athlete position they, they look like they're, they're ready to go again in my opinion good movers and then the football coach comes up and says why are they stopping like that that's not you know that's not how they're going to stop on a football pitch um so yeah i guess we've you know trying to get a perception of what the, the football coach's good mover is maybe you know explaining what we think a perception of a good mover is and getting something in the middle and how that can maybe become an actual good mover. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's an interesting discussion because um, another thing I think the obstacle courses are useful for, and I've certainly made this mistake before, where in strength conditioning circles, you like to say, oh, it's great to coach, say, a dancer or a gymnast because they just get it. But, for example, you'll teach them a squat and it'll take seconds. You'll teach them a hip hinge in seconds. Obviously, those things are easier to learn if you've got the sort of reserve of movement skills to do, I don't know, a handspring or a backflip. But then you'll put them in a, I don't know, a ball sport and you think, oh, well, they're a good mover. They'll be able to do this. But then they can't catch because they can't perceive what's going on around them in the environment. And that's why I like the obstacle courses, because it kind of makes you think, is it a chicken and egg scenario where, for example, uh, they can squat, hinge, push and pull or whatever because they're a good mover? Or are they a good mover because they can squat, hinge, push and pull? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. I, mean, I don't have the answer to that one <laughs> at all, but but you know, as you say, chicken, chicken and chicken and egg scenario. You know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it is. Does the squat, hinge, push, pull make them good on the on the field, or is that a tool to get them strong to help them build the qualities for the field? I guess that's maybe a you know a, a question you could ask around that as as well. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I like that a lot, and I think it's. Uh, the difficulty in working with youth athletes is something I've experienced is that it's very easy to get youth athletes strong. And because there's a low training age, strength carries over to power better in athletes who do have that lower training age, which by default is going to be people who've been alive for a lot less a period of time. Um, but there then becomes a sort of trade-off where that is no longer continuing to enhance their uh, abilities on the field, which is where, it becomes difficult because you're like, yeah, strength is very useful up to a certain point. And then you've got people who can squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, 
and they can put up some pretty good numbers. But then you're like, do I see this in their sport? Yeah, definitely. I, I was having a little, you know, when I was, when I was thinking about what, what, what we were talking about on here, I was thinking, what, are we, you know, we, we, for me anyway, when I'm teaching a kid to, to squat, let's use the squat for an example, I will come up with like really cool, which I, I consider them cool, um, fun methods and ways to try and help them squat using loads of different constraints or, you know, equipment or, or um, you know, items. And they're, they're doing loads of different varieties. There's loads of different variety of movement. And then, I'm, you know, we see this squat. Oh, they've learned to squat. I put a goblet in their hand and it's almost, is it almost like we go, right, stop. That's it. Right. You're a goblet squatter now. And I'm going to get you really strong at the goblet squat. And you're a goblet squatter until you're a front squatter. And then you front squat. And then you're a back squatter, and then and then you're an over, you know however far that goes up goes up up the chain, and then you know is that really uh, what we want to want to just be chasing with them, or do we want to keep that variety of movement and that as we've sort of said about the complexity of movement within it, and how and then how do we go about that, and is that going to be better for their strength um, potentially? Well, well, I mean, you know, strength as a whole, obviously the 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 loaded route potentially is is going to be the better one for that in, in the long run but you know are we restricting their their capacity of movement to 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 keep increasing and their their um i guess even their creativity if we've just gone bang that's you now you're doing that um that's something i i question you know quite a lot myself because i've definitely been guilty of, be, of, of doing that as well I mean, you're the, you're a goblet squatter now we get you strong in there i don't know what, what i don't know what your thoughts are kind of on that and, and you know yeah, I mean, I've 100% been guilty of that before. And I also think that in strength and conditioning circles, as we've sort of said, it's like, right, you've got to earn the right to progress. And it's almost like, well, because you've earned that right now, you don't do anything else. Because you're good enough for us to load it, it's almost like, yeah, we can do all that complexity stuff. But it's almost like, oh, really, that's just the fluff. We really need to get you to the meat and potatoes, which is loading it, which may be the case, may not be the case. Something I have had success with, and I do quite enjoy is pairing the uh, loaded version of the movements so something like a goblet squat or a personal favorite of mine with young athletes is a uh, goblet squat. So dumbbell, two points of contact against the chest uh, and then pop a glass of water on the top because now, okay. we're, now we're working tempo and control, but they just think, right, let's not get soaked by the water. But then pair that with, I don't know whether you've seen uh, gold medal bodies, which I'd recommend anyone checking out, which is um basically like a calisthenics uh program but they use a mover called the frogger or a mover called the monkey the frogger is basically a traveling squat which can then get turned into uh, a tuck handstand into a squat um the monkey is a uh you're starting off in a squat position and it's going to be difficult for me to describe for those listening on audio but the coaching cue i give is like you're a lazy driver so you've got your hands going on the floor your right one comes over your left one and then the right lands one, left lands two, and then the uh, right foot will land three, left foot will land four. Um, so trying to improve the sort of, I suppose, the breadth and the depth of their movement quality and once it looks good enough, the quantity as well. Um, without waffling too much, um, if anyone's ever come across, um, if the name eludes me, um, but if we look at movement um mine's going blanket but but you've got fluctuators and attractors so attractors are the same things in the movement that are going to be the same regardless of whether you're goblet squatting back squatting doing the monkey doing the frogger and then you've got fluctuators which are the things that change and you think would i rather an athlete who is 
very good at a lot of the variations or an athlete who's exceptional at back squatting but i don't know you turn it into a squat with rotation in a bodyweight movement and their mind is just exploded because they can't do it and i'd probably say i'd much rather the athlete who can do a lot of things very well than is so specialized all they can do is back squat like we argue all the time against early specialization when it comes to us looking at other sports yet we think right you've got to a level where you can back squat so guess what you're back squatting for the next three years do you, do you know that was literally uh, i was having a walk this morning and it was literally what i was thinking it was the first time it's ever popped into my head just reflecting on this i was thinking are we actually maybe being potentially of early specializing within you know we, we talk about non-specializing um you know uh, sorry late, late specialization and that we see ourselves as uh I, I see myself as strength conditioning is part of reducing that early specialization, but then are we maybe guilty of doing it? Like you say, within our own sessions by putting them, you know, in a back squat and, that, and then they're a back squatter. And just to go on with what you're saying as well, I, I always think in extreme examples, but I was thinking of Eddie Hall, right? He's pretty good at deadlifting, right? But I don't want to see him turn and chase after a defender. So yeah, I think there's definitely some, you know, there's an argument that we want to keep that that complexity within there and that the variety of the movement um, is really important. A little example of how I've been trying to avoid someone just being a goblet squatter, squatter recently, I was, you know, just a girl I was working with yesterday, who's, she's 12, um, and her, her gym-based program, see her a couple of times a week, one of them is just in the gym, um, and on squats, she's moved unbelievably like you know she's on a goblet squat at the moment as her as her main loaded exercise but we did one one set of that and then we did an overhead squat as set two and we did a squat where she had to pick something up and put it over her head and go around to the other side and put it back on the floor again before she could she could stand up um and yeah i think that's a way that you can still get that uh you know the load through them because that's important right we want to get them strong but also provide that um you know, the complexity and the variety within the session. It doesn't just have to be three sets of 10 or, or whatever, you know, yeah. rep range, goblet squats. Yeah, well, I mean, that also touches across a, a long, another movement principle, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, uh, it comes from a guy called Bernstein, who's big in the movement science literature, but he talks about repetition without repetition. Um, one of the ways he mentions it is if you literally just have an athlete watch another athlete move and it kind of, the brain almost counts it as a repetition for the athlete who's watching as long as they know what they're watching for. But also with the squatting variations, they're still getting in that example, four sets of squatting movements. And uh, in a podcast by Rob Anderson the other day, he was talking about mentoring younger coaches and they'd uh, programmed something like, I don't know, three sets of 10 squats and then a couple of weeks later, three sets of eight, then three sets of six. And his critique on that was, well done you've given them less practice of a movement that they need practice of um which is weird because if we were talking about working with uh performance athletes or adult athletes in most strength conditioning textbooks you'd be like okay volume's gone down intensity comes out that looks good um but it's kind of like with youth athletes we kind of need to rewrite the rule book a little bit yeah like i mean yeah and and just using that example are they really going to be lifting enough of a heavier weight at that Three six when they're they're young as well. I think you you could you could put that in there. The uh, the Bernstein and the dynamic systems theory constraints led approach. I love it, but I I don't think I'm a 
I, I don't I'm delving down the rabbit hole but I'm not there in my uh, framework to probably be able to give a really good informed um opinion on it but it's certainly um I love that repetition about repetition and um uh as as you've maybe seen from the social media side of things you know the constraints led approach to learning is i'm all over it uh, you know that's my my number one approach if, if you will um to learning and yeah just absolutely love delving into that stuff and getting absolutely brain fried by trying to <laughs> read it all but it's uh yeah uh, yeah really good i think the the issue with both of those extremes so for example right let's just get them really really strong because we know from the literature especially for younger athletes or athletes at a lower training age it'll transfer to so many qualities so if we've got that on one extreme then on the other extreme we're like right we want to expose them to several different variations of the same movement pattern uh i think the difficulty is when you go too far one way or the other um because like you said we we're not trying to create the next eddie hall but then equally there's some stuff which i see on social media and i'm like now this just looks like chaos i can't see the logic behind it and equally if you wanted to just do variety for variety's sake you could easily be there all day I mean Howard Green spoke about the Charter Champion Conference you know why is it this variation for this athlete at this stage of their training cycle at this at this stage of their maturation in this session based on what they've done previously and otherwise if you do want to go down the variety route then you can literally make it variety for variety's sake which you've got to know when enough is enough basically definitely i think we're going to speak about it maybe in a, in a little bit on the you know the term on on fun as well but um but yeah there's got to be a purpose behind the variety it can't just be uh be circus tricks and you know you know just just doing it for the sake of it yeah yeah and uh, another thing i mean i suppose we've kind of touched upon it already but one of the thought process in my head is that if improving strength at a pre-pubertal age is primarily due to improvements in coordination then the question i had for you was are we chasing the wrong rabbit by thinking right looks good load it and let's just keep adding load to it yeah i mean obviously you know i I don't think i have a definitive answer (laughs) to it but but yeah i i think I, I worry, do we put the kids, are we putting them, like I said, pressing, are we pressing that stop and, and you're a goblet squatter now? And are we, are we putting them into a box which is going to just progress one side of things where we may get, yeah, a lot more, um, you know, we might get uh, progressions within our coordination and balance and, and the ability to control our body by providing that more variety rather than, um, which we know is good for a, for a pre-progressing um, child rather than just, hitting the strength which may be better left for you know once they've gone through that growth spurt because who knows what's going to happen in that spurt as well we might have to spend that time re-educating them how to perform these movements and you know it's not going to be a waste definitely not they're going to have got some some neural strength but if i'm thinking if, if they've been exposed to more variety of the movement and hopefully really been able to learn that pattern that might then stay as they go through that 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 growth spurt and, their, and through their growth so we can get into a position where we are happy right now let's load them let's get them really relatively strong and um you know start moving towards that performance side of things yeah and it, there's and although i've not jotted this question down uh, another thought that i had um so i remember chatting with another coach um and in terms of going into the all uh, in all girls school i worked in i was like right if we've only got 45 minutes 
do we are we better off, especially for those who are pre-puberty, who aren't going to have the hormonal profile to increase uh, muscle mass, which we know is limited in females anyway. Are we better off just going for unilateral variations because it's going to potentially improve coordination, enhance the state stabilization muscles. And then once they've developed that, maybe it's going to be easier to have the strength and the movement foundation to then use the bilateral work to go for pure force production. Because I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, we pluck a percentage out of thin air and we're like, well, the textbook says 80% is enough to get stronger. But then you're like, yeah, but these kids have no idea what heavy is because they don't have the experience of lifting weights. So they've got nothing to contextualize what 80% actually is. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point. I, I do like the unilateral, unilateral training with, with the prepubescence as well. It's, it's, it's great. And you make, make a good point. You know, if you're going to get strong for there, it's definitely going to help getting stronger on the bilateral later on. Um, yeah, no, no, really good point on there. But it's interesting, you know, you've only, when you say about that limited time space, I think it's something we touched on a little bit. You know, rewind five years ago. And if you said to me, you've got 45 minutes with these kids, I'd be like, right, here we go. Squats, lunges, um, hinge, push, pull. Let's just get them really, really strong. But, you know, now if you're saying I've got 45 minutes with these kids once a week for the session, we're going to focus a lot more on um, uh, our running-based activities and, and, you know, speed, change of direction. Um, but before we then, you know, probably batch on a bit of strength towards the end of it, which is a real interesting shift in mindset. I think maybe that comes with just experience doesn't it I think most young coaches probably would go down the, the same route they want to just right strength is is the answer just get them as strong as possible in that time but then you know we, we learn that there's so much more involved in athletic development and um and long-term athletic development as well rather than just being good at and, and ridiculously strong at those those key movements I think it's also easy to forget what strength might look like for a younger athlete like Strength is just the ability to produce force against a resistance. It doesn't have to be like if you've got a game I sometimes play with, uh, for example, my year sevens is a game stolen from Shane Fitzgibbon of rocket tag, basically stuck in the mud. You get stuck, you sit in deep squat, and then you blast off like a rocket when you've been free. Now, yeah. doing a sort of arse to grass squat to a maximal jump for a kid, like many of them will only leave the ground just a little bit. But if that's yeah. maximal, that's still technically that's still probably strength training because they're not that strong relative to their body weight whereas going back to your Eddie Hall example if you got one of the world's best uh, deadlifters or squatters to jump with their own body weight maximally like is that going to be strength training for someone who you know can squat 250 odd kilos for eight reps you know probably not yeah yeah, yeah. De- definitely not <laughs> um but but yeah I mean jumps and jumps and, and body weight you know training for kids is fantastic isn't it there's so many returns that you can get from just that alone and you can manipulate that in, in multiple different ways you know, tempo and um yeah you know, the, the variety or the variation of, of what you're doing of that specific movement and then put it into a jump etc is you know it's a great way that it's going to work on strength yeah outside of the gym that you can put into a session like you're saying um and i'm stealing that game and uh it, you also mentioned for example it's we as strength and condition coaches think right we've got to cover all these bases right i need my strength work in there i need my running base activity work in there without thinking that actually the lower the training age the more bases that will inadvertently or deliberately be covered just by doing less anyway and then when we need to for example as training age develops then we might need to think right i need to bolt that onto somewhere we need to do a bit of this 
yeah yeah definitely definitely completely completely agree and uh in terms of just to sort of cycle back to the uh obstacle course design uh with your you obviously come across different athletes populations both when you work with Southampton girls and we were talking off air about how you might for example have in within the same group uh, a child who perhaps isn't the sportiest at one of your fitness camps versus say uh, young athletes who are national champions in their sport um how do you and this is something i'm working on within my pe lessons but how do you differentiate for those two athletes within the same group session yeah um so i'll go within the i'll go the obstacle course first and then i'll go within within the group session sort of on a, on a, on a second on that so the, the obstacle course i would probably always direct towards the lower end of the the continuum um because as much as like i said they are looking to have a physical output out from they're also fun and an engagement side of things for for the group they tend you know kids tend to love them um as they come they're always the the highlight of any sort of feedback form that we do and i think the more advanced you know child will just naturally make it harder they they'll they'll just approach it in a different way they'll they'll do it faster or they'll they'll jump higher or they'll try a different skill um you know to the to the kid who's not got as much experience but if they if they're both able to um you know complete the course as sort of a, a minimum they they can kind of do it to their own ability and i guess that goes down that sort of um you know the bernstein we were talking about as well and the you know set the task and then they can create the create it from there um but but yeah, so so that's how I kind of do the obstacle course side of things. They encourage the, the the more able child to really push on, and I just say just do cool stuff, like just show me something cool, um, and and go for that. Then within the session, um, uh, I will in, in very simple in a race, I'll just try and pair up ones who I think are gonna you know be able to compete, or I might just do like a staggered race I've done before when the kid is just losing all the time. And they're no longer working on speed because after the first two meters, they know they've lost and they're just jogging it through. I'll just, I'll give them the advantage. Um, and then, you know, sometimes that takes the conversation to have with, you know, both ends of that continuum because the kid who's winning every race suddenly hates it that they're now, you know, at the back and they're starting behind but the kid. I don't, also don't want to embarrass the, the kid at the front and make them feel put off that, that Oh, I'm, I'm not, not winning. So I'll, I'll have a conversation with them and go, look, I think, to this kid, I want to even up and give everyone a chance. And to this kid, I, I want you to push on and let's see if you can beat them from there. You know, they've, they've had more experience in this or, you know, give them, give them a reason why, why they're doing it um, and, and try and level out the session there. If it's, um, you know, on a strength side of things, I'll just progress the other one on and, and the other one, the, 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 the other child will be doing it, doing a regression of the exercise. Yeah. Nice. And it, where my thinking's, currently at because it's funny with differentiation i find that like kids aren't as stupid as some people think they are like for example i've had sessions where i might have done a similar thing and a kid might be like oh is it because this person's rubbish and you'd be like no and then you think right if i differentiate well enough you won't even realize what i've done so in your example i might have the kid who's more athletic turn around and face the other way as well as a head start or um for example, I'll I'll always pre-select teams. I'll condition it. Uh, like I had a year seven football um, lesson the other day, 
and the high ability team only had uh, two touches and couldn't tackle, whereas the low ability team could tackle, had unlimited touches. And it's funny because one of the kids from the high ability team was like, sir, this isn't fair. And I was like, but look at the teams. The teams blatantly aren't fair, but you're yeah. telling me my conditions aren't fair. Whereas another kid was like, no, he's trying to challenge us. And it's interesting because as you said, it just gives you those opportunities to have those conversations, whether it's about growth mindset, whether it's about, look, all I want is 100% effort. And, yeah. you know, maybe it is deliberately unfair, but, you know, without being too, uh, without being too adult on young children, like, <laughs> that's life. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think it's a lot easier, though, when you're dealing with the, the kid who's, you know, in brackets, better, because mm. you can you can really explain, you know, they'll, they'll pretty much most of the time embrace the challenge and then want to try and show you. I think it is, it's sometimes harder um, approaching the kid who's you know, not as developed and, you know, sort of explaining to them. And like you say, that's where you can go with that, that growth mindset is a, is a, is a good example, but um, yeah, some, but then sometimes they just get the chance to win and then they love that as well, which is, which is awesome. Um, oh yeah. And I think <laughs> as we were saying earlier with the strength versus coordination side of things, I think any extremes are dangerous. Like when we say our oh, kids it, it isn't all about winning, no, I agree. But then let's not also forget that winning is is fun. Like, you know, we need to create an environment where that kid, for example, who isn't as naturally gifted or doesn't have those athletic skills has still got just as much chance of winning as the kid who is more athletic. Because if we go down the traditional sport route, which I've mentioned in previous podcasts, then the kids who've been exposed to traditional sport will obviously have more of a leg up. Um, now, I think there's a time and a place for that, but in our sessions where we're in control of what we deliver, we need to also be aware of the fact that conditions can level the playing field. Being pre-selective of our teams can level up the playing field, even, as you said, the equipment, the constraints. If we can give both teams a chance of winning where it's still competitive, where the less able child has to try, the more able child still has to try, then we know we're doing something right. Definitely. And it actually takes me back to something which I meant to say right at the start in the why I do what I do um, section. I think the uh, one thing with the athletic development camps is that I've been really um, sort of passionate on is that they're an introduction to, to, you know, this is quite literally most kids' first ever fitness session, shall we say, yeah? Um, you know, outside of maybe what they've done in school. And I want them to have a really positive relationship with exercise and fitness. So I think if you're, you know, I'm sure you're the same, working with kids, you're, you're naive to think that every kid you're going to work with is going to become a professional athlete. You know, it may well be that none of them do. So it's about building that um, positive relationship with um, fitness that it's, it, it can be fun. It doesn't just have to be doing a slog around a field for 12 minutes in a, you know, in a, in a Cooper run or something, you know, it, it can be having a race is act, you're working on fitness and and then yeah building that positive relationship making a strength movement fun oh actually yeah this isn't this isn't too bad um on there so i think yeah that's that's another key part and and there's nothing worse than that kid who's just losing and just looks miserable and i'm like i don't want that in my session i, <laughs> I want them to enjoy it and 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 have some chance at winning and yeah um if that means manipulating the game as we're saying you know i'll, I'll definitely do that yeah, and like I said, fitness comes in so many different guises. Like just using the rocket tag example, one of my fitness lessons the other day, I pre-selected teams as sort of low ability, middle ability, middle ability, high ability. And for the low ability, if they caught someone and they didn't get free within five seconds, then that person joined the team. Uh, yeah. Whereas for the high ability, obviously that didn't happen because they were more athletic. 
Now all of a sudden the lower ability team is getting more and more success because they're catching more and more people and they've got a bigger teams to work with. Uh, whereas the high ability have to run quicker to tag people. And it's like, right, you differentiate it. They don't realize actually the kids who aren't as athletic are still breathing heavily because you've set the conditions up right. If we, if I just said, right, let's do a bleed test, those kids would be lost before we'd even got onto any sort of productive conversation. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And uh, just finally, uh, I know you quite like using constraints-based stuff and uh, external cues. Could you talk maybe about your sort of journey towards that and I suppose some of the mistakes you've made in coming to that realisation? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I mean, I was I'm pretty fortunate that uh, one of my, my mentors early, early doors was very, you know, external cue based anyway and put me uh, down the Nick Winkleman line and I just really liked um, his stuff. So it stuck with, with me anyway. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think back to some of my early sessions when I was out on my own and yes, you know, knees out, chest up, um, feet flat, you know, internal cues and then you come back the next week and it's not learned and you're revisiting them again and you're saying the same thing and not only is it not sticking it's also becoming monotonous and you know a little bit a little bit boring on that so um then i went i was like right this isn't this isn't really working is it um so we go down the line of uh you know try, just tried it really tried external cues instead of saying knees out say right create a tunnel your friend to crawl under as you, as you as you do a squat and then that tends to stick the the next week maybe a little bit more and and you see see that progress sort of sort of through there so i guess really just it's just trial and error and something wasn't working something does work and then um with with uh uh one sort of two two different cohorts sorry di- different age groups um i just re- i just reflected like what did i do with and i was looking at them thinking they're moving better than than them and I was like why is that kind of happened and I just I just reflected on on what they were doing and I just noticed with one group we were doing like what I call um uh, you know a football push away squat where they where they squat and they push the ball away and they were doing things like similar to your your water water on the on the goblet they were bouncing cones and the head going up and down and the other group I, I didn't even know why I, I didn't do it I just hadn't programmed that they would they were just doing you know body weight air squats and then I, I looked at them, you know, a good couple of months later, and I was like, "Yeah, there has must be some some reason because it, you know, why? Obviously, there could be loads of other reasons, but for a whole cohort, me thinking these are really good, these aren't. What is it? Just went back through the through the programming, and you know, just I guess probably developed the bias towards the external queuing, but it's also got you know pretty good uh, literature behind it as well, and. Um, yeah, I, I find so 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 I find it works, but then I just find, especially with kids, they, they just engage with it more using their imagination. Um, it's making it it's making it more fun, um, and and yeah, that, that's probably probably why in a roundabout way. Yeah, and I think I've seen you use some of uh, Simon Brundage's stuff in terms of uh, his superheroes, um, yeah. and I'm sure that probably works quite well as well. Rather than getting a kid to lunge, now all of a sudden creating a story off the back of it. Mass, I, I love the superhero the superhero work it's so so good it, it you know really spark, sparks that imagination and, and most of the time I catch myself now going right we're going to do some Ironmans instead of do some squats and it's uh it's better and I, I tell you the, the you know from my experience the program works really well as well um you know it, it does that and yeah I mean we did a 
we, I was doing a warm up uh, yesterday and um, just as one little part of it, just working between a couple of cones, I was like, right, I just want you to do your superheroes on the move. Let's see what you come up with. And you, yeah, you've just got these cool, like, uh, you know, really well performed like squat, like a side, then a sideways squat, and then a really good lunge, but with the noises and everything going on as well, it's, it's, it's really good engagements up, good quality movement. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're excellent. And it's funny because even with some of the younger kids that I've worked with, I don't know why, but if I was a kid, I'd be like, that's, you're just disguising it, but it's still the same thing. But you call some of the squat, oh, I've got a squat. But, you know, you give it a fancy name, maybe you're making a few noises, maybe you turn up the music, and all of a sudden you've given them a completely different environment to do exactly the same thing and they love it. Definitely, definitely. I, there's another thing I was thinking about is, um, you know, if when, when I'm coaching kids, I like to put my try and put my mindset in the frame of the kid and being that I'm probably not that uh, mature, it's quite easy for me, right? Um, so, so I put myself in that like 12-year-old's headspace and I'm like, well, if I, if I was to have thought this was boring at 12, I probably wouldn't have done it very well. But if I'm thinking this is going to be fun, then I'm probably going to try and do it a little bit more. And, and that's that's another reason for yeah that external constraint space. I mean, I, th- I think it's pretty fair to say bodyweight squats with your hands out in front of you. Right? It's pretty boring, right? It's not it's not as much as we love it as S&C coaches. It's not the most fun thing in the world to do. But if you've got a, a ball between your arms, which you have to balance, it makes it a lot more engaging, doesn't it? And this is why I like using, as I said, the GMB Frogger, GMB Monkey, because now all of a sudden, for uh, in the, uh, for example, youth female population, now all of a sudden I've got girls trying to show me their tuck handstand, or for example, a monkey which kind of looks a little bit like a cartwheel. And yeah. for example, the other day in one of my year eight sessions, uh, as a warm up, we did uh, just like a cartwheel race, and yeah. the intensity there was probably a lot more than if I was like, right, sprint to this line. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that sounds good. I like, I like that. Yeah, and even from, you know, you saying put yourself in the 12-yard shoes, I always think for, if you think about behaviour management for sessions, like put yourself in a child's shoes, like the amount of times, and I'm guilty for it, but one of my pet peeves as a PE teacher is, I don't know, you're doing basketball, and you're trying to sit, speak, and someone's just bouncing the ball. But 100%, if you give me a ball and you let me have it in between my hands, I'm going to bounce it and be the person doing it when you're talking. Um, so I just resonated a lot with you saying that. Yeah, yeah, but it is something I keep in mind. Like, um, you know, I, maybe just going off a bit of a tangent on it, but um, you know, you, you, I remember when I used to play football, there was nothing worse than the coach just talking to me. Do you know what I mean? There was nothing. So I was just wanting to know what to do, and then give me an opportunity to do it. And and again, I, that's that's a big thing I try and apply with kids. I try and be as distinct, like as quick as I can with the the demo and the instruction, and then just give them time to to work it out and try and and try and play it and then maybe go around and drop a couple of cues in but you know let them learn that way rather than just being having loads chucked at them yeah and it, it's definitely something i'm trying to improve in my own teaching and coaching and one of the big things for me and lee tack pointed out superbly in our podcast the other day in that those precious minutes at the start is where energy is going to be the highest even if you've got a group that are potentially a little bit more reluctant than other groups that is that is your precious minutes. If you're, for example, stood there being like, right, you're going to wait for the other people to join the session. Like, you're just going to lose them already. And yeah. if you think, right, the game I've designed is a bit elaborate, but it's fun, but it takes you three minutes to explain it. 
you're just going to lose kids. You need those kind of games where, for example, I saw on your social media the other day about just putting equipment out and letting kids play with it just whilst waiting for people to join in. Like those games where you don't need to explain it. It's like, right, you've sorted a game out. It doesn't matter logistically whether we've got one person, whether we've got 12 people. And that way the game can just develop whilst kids are arriving rather than being like, right, we've got to wait till we've got everyone. Definitely. I, mean, it's, it's a, I, love, I love doing that one. But, you know, it's a good way, you know, when kids do arrive in stages, everyone's doing something. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, if they've made it up, it's probably going to be quite, uh, quite fun for them. I'll always try and make a note of that game as well. And then think, right, how can I use that at another time? And then try and actually bring an aim to it and, a, and an outcome as well, um, which is which is something I, I like to do. Yeah, um, two birds, one stones. What the you know, Absolutely. most most of my best games are developed by kids. <laughs> Absolutely, and again, from a behaviour management point of view, kids will when kids are creating the game and managing it themselves, they'll always umpire better and they'll take control of it. Versus you know, if you've set the game up, all of a sudden, if somebody thinks a rule's been broken, they're now coming over to you to be like, oh, well, I thought you said we couldn't do this, or this person's just done that, and it just eliminates all of that. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think there's, there's another example where on, on my... Uh, I, I always like... I do... I'm, I'm very conscious I like to have an outcome. Obviously, I don't like to waste time when you've got... Um, you know, you've got such a, a, a small amount of time you're going to have with these kids. But if something is looking really good and it's ticking a few boxes, I've, I've, you know, I've let it go for 20, 20 minutes before and just let them do it. And, you know, if it's, it might not be the session I've had planned, but if it's, you know, getting something out of it, you know, physically and, and they're enjoying it, then yeah, carry on. Yeah. I mean, something I've been doing of late is, I mean, nothing annoys me more than seeing more time wasted by saying, take a lap when I think, most kids know how to put one foot in front of the other. Okay, technically might not be the best, but they know how to do that. Whereas, for example, chucking a few skipping ropes out, as you said earlier, with the kids who are better, they're probably going to try and skip faster. You might be able to say, right, can you skip, you know, left leg only, right leg only, slow it down, whatever. Whereas the kids who haven't learned that skill, it's giving them a chance to be exposed to it. But I did it with a group of my year nines the other day, and they did something which I didn't realise was still a thing, but tie two ropes together and swinging the ropes and then all of a sudden I was like thinking I only wanted to do this for a minute just to get you warm and just while I set up the first activity but now you've taken it and now the intent is still there so I'm like well I'm gonna let this run a little bit yeah yeah definitely definitely goes you know and it's just letting kids be kids as well which I think you know in the long run can really build your buy-in to your whole program um you know if, if you stop that early and take that element away I think that that could you know probably be a negative over the long term rather than positive and okay yeah five minutes which could have been worked on something you know really snc um it hasn't been but uh but you know you might have got buy-in for the work that you're going to do later in the session as well yeah and i've certainly found more creativity comes when you're i mean lenient's the wrong word but as you said if you can see it's being productive then why not i mean i remember some of the sessions and we were talking earlier about how we've sort of tweaked what we've done i remember uh, it was coming up like sports day it was I don't know a month away or so and I was just pairing up say uh, a sort of S&C type standing broad jump with right we're just going to do a bit of coordination work for the triple jump or we're going to do like a med ball throw like your traditional strength and conditioning thing paired with the technical side of a shot put 
and the buying from those sessions was massive and it's oh can maybe I can throw it like this maybe I, and, you know all of a sudden they were like throwing the ball over their head and I'm thinking well still getting triple extension still getting power and actually yeah. because you come up with it you're going to take ownership of it whereas I don't feel like you get that creativity when you're like here's a dumbbell do a goblet squat like if you said oh how would we progress that you know you'd probably get a you know blank look and maybe a shrug of the shoulders definitely definitely I I, I think um you you mentioned to me I can't remember if we if we said it in this or if it was before but but the the fun balancing fun with the productivity um but I think fun is productive and you know vice versa if they're having fun with it they're going to be a lot more you know engaged and apply a lot more effort than than if it's you know if it's not fun um which I think sometimes uh you know you know maybe as a we're a little bit afraid of that you know you know afraid of having fun for somebody i've said it to parents before i you'll say how was the session i'd be like yeah the kids had loads of fun and they'll look at me a bit disappointed like what do you mean they're having fun in having fun in in fitness but but you know that that's i think that drives that um engagement and i certainly get a lot more out of it um you know it it can't just be like you said with the variety i don't think it'd be fun just for fun's sake um there does have to be some you know output and you know reason behind it but but yeah it's a a big driver absolutely and you're kind of in this difficult gray space where you don't want to be seen as sort of glorified babysitting yeah but at the same time if we go to traditional strength conditioning yeah we could be like i don't know they're standing long jumping proved and from our point of view we're like oh i've quote unquote done my job but then if the kids go back and say to their parents, oh, how did you get on at, you know, Tom's youth fitness camp? No, it's all right. You know, yeah. then you're like, well, it, it doesn't matter. And go back to your previous point about being too keen to stop something. Like you said, those warm up activity games. If we just cut them on the head just because they're like, right, everyone's here now. We're getting started. You're like, well, who's the session for? Is it for my benefit or is it for their benefit? Yeah, that's a brilliant point. Um, that's, you know, that is it. Really, really good point. Who is that session for? Um, and uh, yeah, I think we've, I've definitely been guilty of doing a session, which is is to tick my boxes of what I want them to get out of it. But yeah, it's about their development. And yes, yeah, love that. Yeah. And like you said, right, even though you have got these boxes to tick, it doesn't have to be ticked in this exact way. If I can still see I'm getting an outcome, then I mean, if it's not broke, why fix it? Definitely. Definitely love that. And uh, just in wrapping things up with the last couple of questions. uh, So firstly, if you had one key take home for, I don't know, parents, teachers, coaches listening to this podcast, what would you like it to be? Um, Oh, good good question. I I guess, uh, you know, don't be afraid of having, having fun within a session and you can, you can get the productivity out of there. And yeah, I think also, uh, you know, if we go back to to what we were talking about with with the with the strength work, you know, maybe it doesn't just stop when they're a good mover. It's not you're not the goblet squire. You can do you can do other varieties within that. Nice, and uh, this is one I love. If you could observe one coach uh, working with their athletes or indeed children, whatever it be, who would you like to observe and why? Um, yeah, cool. Um, so you know, obstacle courses, <laughs> uh, Jeremy Frisch, I'd love to see him in action. I think that'd be awesome. I think he's, 
you know, obviously I don't know him, but um, he's, look, from everything I've seen, unbelievable practitioner. I love all his stuff. Um, follow that. So yeah, that would, that would be great. Yeah. And definitely someone I'm going to try and have on the podcast in future, because I'd love similar to what we've discussed today, because the stuff just, I think putting myself back in the 12 year old shoes, as you say, I mean, I'd love to do that stuff now. I mean, I've seen, <laughs> your, seen your videos of joining in with some of the kids sessions. I think to be able to jump in with Jeremy's sessions with all the equipment they've got, yeah. I would love to know, for example, how that looks. Uh, I mean, long, I don't know whether I'd say longer term or, you know, that sort of planning, uh, whether it's a unit of work, whether it's session to session, whether it's, as you said, with the amount of equipment he's got, you could easily just say to the kids, look, here's the equipment, go. And I'm sure you'd yeah. still get something more productive than what a lot of traditional S&C sessions might look like. Definitely. I think there was one post he did where he was talking about the the difference between just a straight sprint and his sprint through the through the obstacle course. And yeah, as you say, I think that's, you're definitely going to get more out of that that, that obstacle, more engagement out of the obstacle course um, on on there. Yeah, um, yeah, stuff. I'd love to have all that kit. And you know, you talk about having to go at them. Don't don't be thinking all those courses. I haven't ran through them, you know, a good couple of times before the kids get there. I'm flying through them. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. But it, it's funny how, uh, on that same analogy, sometimes I think I see I've observed teachers and I see them getting frustrated that kids can't do X drill, but then they'll try and explain it to me, and I'm thinking like my head's gone. Like I I don't know, for example, where I'm meant to be, and maybe it's just because I'm not that bright. But I'm thinking if I'm struggling as someone who's, you know, 27 years old, accredited strength and conditioning coach, qualified PE teacher, and you're asking a 12 year old to do that. Like, have you not tried running someone else who doesn't know what they're on about through this session and wondering where you're going wrong? Definitely. That is nice. I tend to think if a kid can't understand what I want them to do, it's my fault. It's not mm-hmm. theirs. You know, I, I, there's some, there's been a breakdown in my communication or, or my delivery rather than, you know, I'm not going to get frustrated and blame the kid. I'll get fr- probably frustrated at myself that they haven't. But that took a long time to uh, to be able to realise that. Yeah, and there's so many examples of where I think we're guilty. And again, sort of going back to the sessions I've observed, where we're guilty of thinking just because we know what it means that somebody else knows what it means. I mean, the other week I did a little warm up for my football lesson, and I just wanted them to jump for an imaginary header, which works great or better than expected with year sevens. And I just yeah. wanted them to land on a single leg. And I said, right, I want you to kill the movement dead because I wanted that eccentric strength or that deceleration that we're talking about. So I said, jump up, and we're going to kill the movement dead. I'm like three, two, one, jump up, and three of the kids just throw themselves on the floor. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, you said play dead. And I'm like, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, yeah, I love that. Without, you know, I don't want to uh, just real quick snapshot. There's, there's another post I did on the on the Instagram about when I first had my meeting with an accountant. She told me I was putting stuff on the wrong ledger, and I was like, no idea what a ledger is. And then yeah, that, uh, yeah. If if they don't know what you're talking about, then there's no chances there. But it's it's funny because I think, ironically, I say I think it's a real mark of a self esteem in a child to actually say I don't know what you're saying because yeah. i mean i can't remember which book it was that i read it in but uh, it was in the introduction and they were talking about i don't know going on a tour through the himalayas or whatever it was and the tour guide said have you got any questions and the author said well no of course we didn't because that would imply that we've been listening the whole time <laughs> and uh, 
you know, kids who actually have the confidence to say, I don't know what you mean, um, and actually checking for understanding is uh, two very valuable things. Definitely, because of course they don't want to look like they're uh, they're not clever as well. Do you know, mm. if they, you know, that you're they're expected to understand. Um, so yeah, encouraging them to be able to talk. I love that. Yeah. Um, and uh, penultimately, if you had one recommended resource, it can be a podcast, a book, maybe an app that you're using. Yeah, uh, I mean, the number one book that I always go for, you know, I always find myself going back to with with kids is is, is still. Uh, Lloyd and Oliver's, um, you know, strength, it was strength conditioning for young athletes. The, the, I, I call it the, the, the YPD book, but, um, but yeah, I always, always go, go back to that. Um, and, you know, yeah. And then, like I said earlier, you know, anything Jeremy Frisch puts up online, I'm always on that. That's not one, is it? But I've got, I've got one. Too. You say as many as you want. Well, and, and, you know, get to a charter champion conference um, as well when it's back you know, as a, as a, as a, as a conference when we're out of these, uh, these COVID conditions, because they, they're so good. Yeah. And just to chat briefly about it, the, the one in 2017 is still one of my favorite conferences. I mean, not to knock the UKCA conferences, but if you're working with kids and you want something practical, you think, right, I want to be able to use something from that conference on Monday morning. I mean, UKCA is great if you happen to have 30 grand horse plates, but if you want something you can actually apply with the kids that you're working with. And as we've said, especially if it's mixed ability groupings and not, I mean, like I said earlier, every child is an elite youth athlete because it's on a hoodie or a jumper. But if you want stuff that's actually practically applicable, Child to Champion is one of the best child-based coaching conferences that I've been to in recent years. 100%. It's so, it's, yeah, can't, can't speak highly enough of it. So good. And uh, finally, how can people reach out to you if they want to have a look at your stuff or have got a question for you? Uh, yeah, so um, mostly on, uh, well, I've got, got the Instagram page, which is at SHP underscore physical prep. Um, or, you know, more than happy on email would be Tom at shpfitness.co.uk. Um, I do have Twitter, but I just absolutely, COVID has just made me, I can't stand Twitter. So I'm just off there at the moment. Um, but yeah, so Instagram is probably best or, or okay. email. It's one of the reasons why I started a podcast. I mean, why write 140 characters when uh, you can ramble on for an hour and a bit? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Every SNC coach's favourite phrase, it depends, you know, 140 okay, characters is easy to be misinterpreted. Like you say, oh, you know, how do I improve my child's performance? Get stronger. But here's an hour and a half of caveats to that, get stronger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just can't. I just can't stand that. I, I find it makes me frustrated, so I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Um, anyway, Tom, I really appreciate you giving up your time on a Sunday afternoon. So uh, thanks very much for coming on. Cheers, Todd. Loved it. Hopefully it's been useful. And um, yeah, thank you very much. And we'll catch up soon. Brilliant. Cheers. Thank you for listening to episode number 36 of the Platform to Perform podcast with today's guest, Tom Smith and myself as always, Todd Davidson. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a coach, a teacher, or an athlete who you think will benefit from it. And if you'd like to find time to leave us a review, that would be very much appreciated. If you want to go one better than that, and you want to support the podcast, then why not check out my Patreon, uh, which you can find at www.patreon.com forward slash Todd Davidson P2P Coaching. By signing up to my Patreon, you'll have exclusive access to all 30 of my calisthenics kids' lessons, 
which aim to improve strength, confidence, and movement skill in children using bodyweight only training. You'll also have access to all of my strength and conditioning programs that I've released, which include bodyweight size, bodyweight basics, and a host of other conditioning uh, programs. You'll also have access to my exclusive strength and conditioning educational content, including my Technique Tuesday series and all the questions that I've answered uh, via my Patreon for my Patreon subscribers. Thank you very much for tuning in, and I'll catch you again in the next episode.